1: Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got the privilege to interview Nigel Barker. Nigel, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for being on. It's a pleasure to interview you. You've got quite the resume, I must say. Well,
0: you know, when you've been around as long as I have, you can, you can get quite a long resume.
1: <laughs> That's good. So, man, you've got your own podcast, Shaken and Stirred, but uh, but obviously you've made a career uh, being a photographer. Uh, you've been a, a, a judge on America's uh, Top Model. Uh, you are a former model. You're a serial entrepreneur. You are the ambassador to the United Nations, all sorts of stuff, man. So I always start the podcast with stuff like what made you the man you are today? Right, that's a big question. But you don't just wake up one day and become all these things. So, we would love to hear the backstory of what's uh, what's helped you become the man you are today, Nigel.
0: I mean, I think you know, like you said, you, nothing. There's no, there's not normally one thing that that makes you the man you are today or the person you are today. But that being said, I, I do know that there was, there's no doubt, a series of events and things that happened in my life and and things that influenced me heavily. And, and it starts from very early on in life. It starts from childhood and certainly growing up with my father who was a serial entrepreneur, someone who always saw an opportunity in anything and everything um, and was always sort of ahead of his time. And I mean, for example, simple things like, you know, when fax machines were first created, he bought one immediately and there was no one to fax because no one else even had a fax. So he bought one for the bank, gave it to the bank so he could fax the bank, his bank uh, accountant and manager, uh, all the things he needed to. So he was a financial consultant, and he was. You know, so he want, but he wanted to be the fastest, the quickest. He he loved technology. He loved the advancement <clears throat> technology. We had computers when no one else had computers in, in our house, you know. And so all of that kind of stuff. He was already very interested and fascinated, and passed along a lot of that fascination to me and um, the ability to think outside the box and. You know, he created a school at one point, um, and it was called Ties International, and he issued every child who came to the school with a passport um, that was a, called a the Ties International Passport. And the concept being that he was going to you know, tie children and people together of all nationalities, of all races, of all colours, of all creeds, of all religions and, as one. And to, and it was way advanced thinking from a you know sort of a United Nations type of standpoint, and of course we've got organizations like Global Citizen today, which are incredibly big. But it it's, it was very much the same idea, just years ahead of his time. And you know, and it was so it was he always fascinated me. I was always look up to him to see what he you know he he would look at things with child eyes and everything had abounded with opportunities. If he was in a a candy store, looking at all the things that he could possibly eat and and they were all gonna be delicious, right? But they were all gonna be different. And I I think he passed that sort of passion on to me. And so hence, you know, my resume is quite varied and all over the place, but in large part, because I've never sort of wanted to be the one to pigeonhole myself as to what I can and cannot do. And when opportunity knocks, why not, you know, give yourself the opportunity to take it and have a go? And, you know, you don't want to live with regrets. Well, I think it's
1: amazing, too. And, I, and some of the things, obviously, I didn't mention your entire resume, but, you know, you've got clothing line, furniture line, you own, uh, you know, you've uh, workout facilities in New York City. I mean, all this stuff, right? And so would you say belief is part of that? I mean, what's, what, you know, what helped you believe that, hey, I could do this, I could do that, I can do something completely different than what my training is,
0: is in? What, so this is the funny thing. I'm not trained in anything. And um, I mean, I think that's a large part of it is that, you know, it perhaps for me was I was headed to go to medical school at one point um, when I was at high school. And I studied biology, chemistry, physics, and maths. And... Um, you know, and, and But ironically, you see in England, the education system works where very early on you have to specialize and they call them A-levels, right? So you're studying for your A-levels and you have to specialize. And so I was only really taking four subjects. My problem was, is that, that, that when I turned 16, you do something called your O-levels or GCSEs. And that's when you do more subjects. And I was doing about 10 subjects at the time, but I got the same high grade across all of them. So, my father looked at his children, and I was one of six kids, and said, Okay, well, you have, we have an accountant, we have a lawyer, we have, a, you know, all, we said, but we don't have a doctor. So, you should become the doctor. <laughs> and, and that was it. I was, in fact, my, my, my genuine interest wasn't really as much in the sciences, particularly as it was in the arts. So, but I didn't want to, so I didn't really, really know or care, nor want to disagree with him. And I thought, well, why not? Okay. Um, and my mother sort of romanticized the idea of what it would be like if I was a doctor. And so I thought, okay, this sounds interesting. And I was gonna actually join the Navy and become a Naval doctor. And I, it was all planned out. Um, and l- long story short, um, when I was 17, there was a television show in England called The Clothes Show, which still exists to this day. It's one of the longest running fashion shows in history. And they started a, a modeling search. Um, and this is the irony of it all, because obviously my career, you know, they were a full 180 almost. and. Um, I, I was entered into this televised competition, did not win, but got a great opportunity to become a model for a year or two, make a bit of money in between going to medical school, because heck, I was going to need it. It's going to be a long haul. And um, so I thought, and, and see the world a little bit. I'd been a very kind of you know privileged child. I went to a boarding school, you know, I, I but I didn't know anything about the world. I knew very little, I wasn't worldly at all. I was had quite a protected life. So it was for me fascinating to get out into the world, and, I, and I, as soon as I did, you know, I, I was like, you know, couldn't believe what the world could be like and the people I could meet. And certainly in the fashion industry, which are really quirky, unusual, creative people. Um, but long again, I said, long story short, be careful, parents, what you allow your children to do, or certainly give them gratis to do, because. Once I started making some money and I I realized that I did not want to go to medical school and I could afford to say no without needing my parents to help support me, I was off on my own. So, you know, again, going back to your original question, you know, the the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, as and when I have sort of been interested in something, I I, I sort of get really deep Mm -hmm. into it. And and it it can be and could be anything. So, for example, with gyms, I've always been into fitness. Um, I've worked out pretty much all my life. And um, it was actually the actor Hugh Jackman, who you're all familiar with, who was working out to become Wolverine. And um, our kids were at school together and he knew that I worked out a lot. And we had become friends from socially and uh, at the school and what have you and events. And he said, you know, I'm looking for a couple of pals to work out alongside me as I train for Wolverine, which is an incredibly intimidating thing to be asked. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Hugh's a year or two older than me and I think he's a year and a half older. He just turned... 49 or 50 just the other day and um I'm 48 and so I, I but I you know but he uh, he sort of bullied me into it for the first after a couple of times I said okay I'll go for this and um and I remember the first time I worked out with him at his house I thought I was going to be sick because he was worked out so hard <laughs> yeah. but I held it one together one the biggest transformations ever
1: right from a, right from I know
0: um and um you know it, and, and really what happened was there was is that you know, we, we got really into it, it became really fun. More and more people joined us. This grew, and it grew and grew. And then when he sort of, you know, became Wolverine, it was no longer, he, you know, it wasn't necessary for us to all work out together, but the group of friends who had gathered, which was now sort of 12 people after a couple of, and it took two years, this process, right? So okay. he trains hard in advance. But in that two year period, we are like, well, we had nicknamed ourselves the Dog Pound, and we had t-shirts, and we were a little group of guys. And, you know, we were like, we don't want to disband this. So we, we said, well, why don't we just create our own gym? And we found the place, we opened it, we have opened it with our trainers and we all put our own money in. And you know, it, it then turned into a, an absolute phenomenon. And we were known mm. as the gym for actors and celebrities and models who, and even professional athletes who were looking to transform their body or get into shape for a certain role or a certain time or a certain runway show or yeah. campaign yeah. Or, and so on and so forth. So. You know, that was um, how that happened. And now we have two gyms, one in LA, one in New York. And I was the CMO of of the business when we first opened it. And, you know, so a lot of things in my life have happened along those lines. Things that I'm passionate about, things I then get very interested in, and then I turn them into a business. And and because you've got, it's all very organic in that way. There's sort of things that you believe in, that you need, that you want, that you like, that you use, that you wear, that you understand, and therefore you have value. Yeah. Um, it isn't simply just, I'm going to invest my money in this because it's a good idea. Yeah.
1: No, your passion behind it is true. And I love the story too. I heard doing my research was how you really became a photographer, right? Was kind of maybe during this model time. Uh, talk to us about
0: that. I love that story. Well, you know, it, it, again, simply, you know, I had never thought of becoming a photographer as a child because it's, there were, I mean, now you, there are degrees, even A-levels back in England and things like that that are in photography and and into the photography photographic fields. But when I, you know, when I grew up in the seventies and eighties, there simply weren't photography degrees. So you could assist or intern a photographer and learn the process, but it was not, um, you know, a degree course. So that wasn't an option. When I, I did learn to print my physics teacher, sorry, my biology teacher, Dr. Adams, he taught me how to print black and white at school. And he sort of turned me on to the world of photography early on and but again it was really just as an amateur fun hobby but then becoming a model working with professional photographers seeing the world uh, and what one could be as a photographer realizing that as a model which was not anything I'd ever wanted to be but I had sort of fallen into I realized that this was a limited you know job and also not really of anything where one has any control over one's life and realizing too that I was at the Beck and call and whim of clients. And I, I really wanted something more solid. And after I'd sort of turned down medical school and been involved in the modeling industry for about six, seven years, <clears throat> I realized that what I had was a sort of a degree in life and experience with all these people and connections and network that I'd made in <clears throat> the fashion industry. And if I was able to transfer that into the industry itself, what could I do? And obviously, having worked with all these photographers and, and being interested, I had witnessed some of the greatest, most successful commercial fashion photographers like Avedon and Irving Penn and Stephen Meisel and, you know, people like that at work firsthand. And I thought, well, maybe I, you know, I could give this a go. And I transitioned and it didn't, wasn't immediate. It took me several years. And I, I was living in Milan. I was living in Paris. And it was actually my wife, who was my girlfriend, obviously at the time, and her twin sister, who initially sort of became my muses. And, um, you know, how I built my portfolio and started was that I would go around to all the models that I knew in all these different cities I was working in and said, look, please, when you get booked for a job, if you really love the hair and makeup, um, Mm -hmm. let me know, send me a text, let me know that it's great. And and I'll meet you at your house after the job and I'll take some pictures of you with this hair and makeup because I I couldn't afford to hire hair and makeup artists. and, And oftentimes models would do a job, have their hair and makeup done but the pictures wouldn't be great, or they would be for a client that was very specific usage or reasons behind it. And they would never see them get the pictures or be able to utilize them in any useful manner. Hmm. And, and, it, and it really became a thing. Models would call me every day, multiple models, and say, and let me know. And, and I would be waiting for them, and they would show up, and they would have this fabulous hair and makeup, which, you know, took hours to create and right. I would photograph them in the beautiful evening afternoon light of Milan and Paris with the backdrops of Paris. You can imagine, right? The streets oh, man. Are what man, you? I mean, it's just gorgeous. And, and I built this portfolio up and, and I, you know, eventually went to New York and, you know, in 1996, opened the photo studio. And um, as they say, the rest is history. That's amazing.
1: Unbelievable. And I think it's just so cool, the opportunity, right? That so many people, we all have the opportunity in front of us, but sometimes we just don't know the opportunities there. Unless you slow down, you think about it, and you just and you take action, right? One of the circuits on the circuit of success is taking action. And it's in some people would say, Oh, I can't do that. They've they've done that for another photo shoot. I love the the thought, the thought of that. So when you hear the word action, talk to us about the two or three years where it doesn't just become, you know, Nigel, this big photographer. You're you're knocking on doors, you're trying to make a living, you're trying to make some money selling your photos,
0: I assume. What was that process like? You you know, it's for me it's always fun and every new business i start <clears throat> I, I it's it's always somewhat like that i mean no doubt now there's an element of celebrity and fame and and, and platform that one has developed after 20 30 years that sure. helps in a large way right so there's a machine behind me at this point yeah. but it doesn't stop me from really going back to my roots because there's there's a, something about again being very organic and and really talking to people and being present that you can't get away from if you really want to be yeah. successful at whatever you do and you know i remember for example with my going just talking about the photography business you know that was a situation where i started in a very humble way you know i never charged originally it was favors and i would give my pictures to people then as people loved them and came back asking asking for more, I, I simply asked them to just to cover the cost of my expenses, buy the film for me, right? And this is back when we had cameras with film, right? Yeah, sure. Rolls of film. So they would buy me three rolls of film of which I would shoot the three rolls of film for them. And then they would take prints off them and I would get to keep the film and the pictures and I could do stuff with them. Then it progressed to, you know, people, more people wanting me to do it. And to the point where I went from, you know, not charging, charging for the film, charging $50 for a roll of film for me to shoot, mm-hmm. charging for like a package where it would be like $500. Now, $500 doesn't sound like a lot, but I was able to do three of these a day, right? So I could do $1,500 of, of business a day, test shooting models for agencies, yeah. right? Now this was in the 1990s. So I was a young kid in my early twenties, making 1500 bucks a day in cash, taking pictures, yeah. you know, taking photographs, you know, I mean it was a lot of money for what it was, to be honest with you. Sure. I was could easily clear five thousand bucks a week and I was in my early twenties just taking pictures and you know of, of models and turning it around really fast. But what it also did was it created a machine where I became more and more honed in on my eye, what I was good at, what I could do, how I could do it, technique, 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 and I built up this massive portfolio of all the and so I was able, when I'm able to look do a portfolio, I had so many photographs to go through that you could put together something that was comprehensive, something that made sense, that had a narrative, that people could see a style, a signature look and feel, which is what they wanted, you know? But again, all of this led to eventually, you know, me sort of taking it to that next level. And absolutely, I had the opportunity with America's Next Top Model. And with hindsight, people obviously say, well, clearly that was a a game-changing moment and and you were very lucky. And yes, all of that's true. However, I almost turned it down as the reality. I actually almost said no, because it was, I mean, it's hard to understand this for many people now because they don't, because it's changed so much. But the fashion industry was a very exclusive, elite world of people who, you know, it was very much a closed club. And, you know, and to get in was very difficult. Okay. Television is very commercial and considered to be almost like a sell sellout situation for a lot of people who are in that, you know echelon of the industry. So when Tyra Banks decided to create this show, she also created a lot of enemies as well as admirers. Hmm. right so the, the, the masses admired and, and the, a lot of people in the industry were horrified or were embarrassed or humiliated or whatever it might have been and not that she cared. but when she came to me I remember thinking I was very honored, but then I was also warned by many people that if I did, it was a risky row because I might throw away everything I'd yeah. built. But well, especially use- if that
1: thing fails, right? I mean, that thing fails well, exactly. in the first two or three, four months. Then you're, like you said, the sellout, if you will, to your industry, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you all sort of made a laughing stock a little bit. It's sort of, because you're not, it's not real jobs. It's not necessarily real things. It's television. It's all make-believe. And, but I, I sort of, I, I had a sense at that point, And this is something that's very important, I think. And one of the reasons why I go back to how, you, you, you have to stay true to your roots and having your fingers, you know, in, in, you know actually being a part of what you're doing and listening to the people and talking to people and understanding what people want and what's going on. It's about the sort of zeitgeist of the moment. It's like if you, if you don't, if you're not connected to the pulse of what's actually happening in the world, it's very hard to know how to react. And I, I remember feeling that there was a huge change happening. And there was a digital revolution happening. This was, by the way, before social media top model. We started in 2003, there was no Instagram, no Facebook, no Twitter, right? So it was a very different world, but reality television, in my opinion, was the precursor to social media. It allowed people in on the behind the scenes of people's lives, the making of the, the arguments of, in families, the all of that kind of stuff that happened, and that you know was what really turned into social media as people got more the ability to kind of dig in personally. You know, and I could feel it. And I, and I so I, I sort of took a bet, took a gamble on top model, and still tried my hardest. And heck, look at it—it's it, twenty yeah. it was twenty-five seasons long. I did seventeen seasons and became one of the number one shows. In America, number one show on a Wednesday at eight o'clock on prime time. And we had an audience of over 100 million people tuning in, which if there's one way to get your name known around the world (laughs) as a photographer, that's one of them. That's it.
1: That's it. That's right. Well, I think too is to go back to that when you talked about you did it for free, then you did it for the the cost of film, and then fifty bucks, and then you know five hundred bucks, and God knows what it costs now. If, if I wanted to hire you to come over and you know do the family photos with my wife and four kids, right? It costs a fortune. And uh, but but my, my I guess my point is how do you build that belief? Because I talk to a lot of business owners or consultants, and they say, you know what, I really struggle with saying here's what I'm really worth. Or people that are speaking, right? I have friends that, that they charge $50,000 to go speak for an hour, right? And then it's like, but how do you build that belief in yourself to
0: then charge that money? So- You know, know, it's it's one of those things, too, where, first of all, you know, demand will obviously, you know, help with that, because if if you if you're asked to do 10 things on the same day, then whoever can afford to pay you, you know, you do all the thing you want to do. Right. So that's obviously a large part of that as well. But, you know, I also say that I don't do a lesser job if I'm getting no matter what I'm getting paid. So if you have me, you have me right? So there is no better or worse. I do my best. I am 100% committed. If I'm doing it, I'm doing it. So you can yeah. pay me nothing, I'm there. If you can pay me 100 grand, I'm there. Right. And it's the same. You get the same thing, same effort, same capacity. And that's very, very important. And, yeah. and I think that is what people, a large time what people look for. And sometimes people, I think, fail with that. They sort of do things for organized charity or something, and it's not quite their full commitment or the distracted and everything else. And I'm afraid People, you know, you're only as good as the last thing you did, no matter what you did. Right, so you, you really have to be very, very astute and and careful, and, and and make sure that you know you're there. You know, and I and I, I think when it comes to the numbers, really half the time it boils down to the sales you can affect. Right, so if you you know. I, I ultimately, in the fashion industry, it's very easy to work these things out because you do, you shoot an advertising campaign and it makes a hundred million dollars or $10 million. And right. you know, they realize that paying you 50 grand to do the campaign was worth it. Right. So, right. And, and then they want you back again. And and, then, and every time they want you back, you up your price. Right. And so yeah. you hit a ceiling. Right. Or they want someone else. So, you know, it, there's a, it's, it's a pretty mathematical equation about how a lot of that sort of thing works. Um, but you also have to be smart it's not simply about you know every time someone comes to me it's not i don't just say okay let's do another ad campaign or let's just shoot this we have grown um and and thought you know and and continuously try to think outside the box as to what we can offer a client and for example we worked for um nine west the the shoe company uh, part of the jones group and they were creating a a boot um that was their most expensive skew and you know we created a campaign around them um, with my brand agency at the time. And it, it was simply that there was a charitable a charitable component to the sale where 10% of the sale of the boot was going to go to fashion targets breast cancer. And we partnered with the CFDA, which is the Council of Fashion Designers of America. And um, what we did was we, we had all these models wear the boots and people could sponsor them. And every step they took, a donation was made. Mm-hmm. And um, we shot this huge advertising campaign in the middle of New York City and invited the press to view the campaign, the actual making of it, interview wow. the models, interview me, photograph the whole thing, and we set up a red carpet that everyone could see, but we put the press on the red carpet, so they were the ones who were on the red carpet, while we were off the red carpet, where, where the, the press would normally be, and they had the stanchions, and they photographed us in that direction. Anyway, this campaign took off in such a massive manner because everyone was so excited to see that all happening and the workings of and to interview everybody that it became the number one campaign the Jones Group had ever done. It was a sold out the boot, even though it was the most expensive SKU. It had over, um, and this sounds insane, but 300 million views um, within two weeks and over a billion views in a couple of months. It was absolutely, it's the definition of going viral, right? And we were doing events all over the world.
1: Yeah, and I think too, when you use that word viral, you can't go into something thinking you're going to turn it
0: viral, can you? Because, you, I mean, you have no idea, right? No, you don't have any specific knowledge of what of whether it will, but you certainly can go in with the idea of trying to create something that is has the potential to go viral, right? Yeah. So, and it doesn't mean that, like some things like are very unusual if they will go viral. Like you just, you know, some things are just are being done all the time and it's yeah. very normal. Other things like are... Are a surprise, right? And they go viral. And that's just because it, it, it was, you know, super well done, super funny, very exciting, different, innovative. Um, but it normally has something to do with, you know, one very small factor, you know, that the the sort of um it factor of, of, yeah. of, of whatever that might be. And it's it's hard to put your finger on any one thing. But if you look, look back at you know ice bucket challenges or whatever they might be, yeah. it's normally some sort of shock or something which makes people just instantly laugh or instantly think something, right? So the, the ability to make, to have an aha moment or to have a, like a, no, they didn't. Whatever that might be it, it is is often the power to make something go viral, right? So, which, and again, it's a fine line of, of absurdity and being crass and, and, and over the top or, you know, vulgar or whatever it might be that that can ruin something like that too. But it's and also being memorable for the right reasons. So right? A, yeah, you can go viral for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons too, right? So it, it's it's a very fine line about figuring out what what makes sense. And yeah. um, but in in this situation, it was a powerhouse combination of a lot of different things. It was a charitable component. It was supermodels. It was behind the scenes. It, you know, it was um it it was just very dramatic we hired 30 models and meanwhile all the models you know supplied their time for free so we didn't have to even pay them right so it was because it was a charitable component was breast cancer and what have you and they breast cancer made a lot of money you know they were very happy about it because they made a fortune and had great visibility because it was huge breasts you know it was just a lot of things coming together now that particular idea is used by companies all over the world because this was one of the very first times people had injected a charity into into a sale of a shoe or boot with a commission uh, in history right so this happened we did this originally over 10 years ago and now of course people do it all the time yeah. So I'm
1: always mesmerized by people of, of your level where you've got so many things going on, right? No day is the same, I'm sure you've got all these different businesses, your ambassador of the United Nations, all this stuff, right? And you're still doing a podcast. One is, I, I call it uh, self-management, not time management. So you got to be pretty strict with that, I assume. But what are some of the other habits and rituals if I followed you around for you know, a few days that I would see almost without fail? You're doing this
0: daily. You know, a large part of it is, I think, compartmentalization and knowing that, and I mentioned this sort of earlier a little bit, but when you're doing something, to be 100%, you know, involved with it when you're doing it. For example, us right now, I'm talking to you. I'm not sort of on my phone simultaneously looking at my texts as they come in. Right. Or, you know, you've all been with a friend in a bar who's talking to you but looking over your shoulder at the same right. time it's nothing right. more irritating and also the conversation is kind of blah, you know yeah. so you, you I, I feel, I think that you you know for me that I, I'm able to you know think about one thing at a time I'm not very good at thinking about 10 things at once by the way um, but I but by thinking about one thing at the time it's quality, not quantity in a way. And, but so when I'm, but, but when I'm, you know, at, at that moment, at least it's, 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 it's quality. So, you know, whatever I'm involved with, I can hundred percent focus and then I can shift and I refocus and I'm onto the next thing. And that way by compartmentalizing my day, I know that at this moment, I'm talking about this particular client and this job, And this moment, I'm talking about this thing. I'm trying not to do all of them at once yeah. and I have to have people to help me do that actually and it's very my my wife who actually runs my studio is incredibly useful as far as helping me stay on track and reminding me of this thing that has to happen that thing that has to happen this thing that needs to be done and and, and you know and layering them all but I also find it and it's it may just be me I don't know about how everyone else works but um you know i get i'm very interested in things but then I also once i've done it I'm not as interested anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I sort of all, I come all in and I do it and then I'm just sort of done and right. I want to do the right. next thing. You know, so it's, right. I don't like doing things over and over and over again. Yeah. So even as a photographer, I tell people as I'm shooting them, yeah, I've got the shot, I'm done. I, I don't need to keep, and they'll be like, well, that was fast. I'm like, well, I, well do, you, do you want to sit down there for another 10 minutes as I sort of faff around trying right. to get Take some you know, fake photos. Yeah, so sort if of, it doesn't, we've got it, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And actually we can move much faster that way, get more done. You can go home earlier, you know, and time is money. And, you know, so it, 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 it all, it all makes sense. In the end. Yeah, and
1: they probably like that too. I mean, if you're a big time supermodel, you don't want to sit around and take 900 pictures. You, you get the picture and let's
0: go. Actually. And you know what, with supermodels specifically, that's a really interesting one. It's on the other foot too with them, you know? So when you work with a supermodel, which obviously I've worked with many, many. Um, it, they will stand in front of your camera, and they'll be done when they're done. And and it's yeah. not often when you're done. You may yeah. you may think that you have got more to do or want, and they'll they'll be like, if you haven't got it, then you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, because I just gave you you know, a million dollar shot right there. You, know, right. you better have caught it. Right. So, right. so it's, it, it can be the, the boots on the other foot in that instance. So what are you
1: learning from those top models that no pun intended there, but the, the, the supermodel, right? The ones we all know their names. I mean, all these people, what do you, cause there's a lot of pretty people out there, right? Male, female, there's a lot of beautiful people, but what do you notice about the, the ones that get to the premiere, get to
0: the top level? What, what do you notice the difference about them? Well, I mean, uh, it's a great question, and actually, you know, I, I wrote a book called "Models of Influence" um, that became a New York Times bestseller, uh, and it, it's all about, you know, that particular uh, question: what is it? What is a supermodel, and why? And and, it, and it, essentially, it has to do with their influence, and, and it's it's not the fact that one is prettier than the next. Yeah. So, and, and to your point, there are many pretty people out there, there are many beautiful people out there, many stunning people out there. But what really make someone a supermodel is their ability to inspire. And, and it, that inspiration is, is, is why an editor, a designer, a photographer, ends up turning a, a, a specific model into a muse. Mm. And, and they're able to be far more than just a clothes hanger. They're actually the inspiration for art, for creativity. It's a collabora collaboration, and you know people design collections around people, and uh, you know they, they're so inspired by the way they move, the way they talk, about the way that their personality, and and, and people in general have this power, and you know, so there are models who come along who completely shake up the industry, whether it's a Twiggy, you know, or a Kate mm-hmm. Moss, or wh- whoever it might be, and and certainly you know even in this day and age, we, it, it, there's always someone new who's coming around that, that you know people often will say well, how did Kate Moss become a supermodel? You know, she was yeah. like five foot six and flat chested. And, you know, it was, I don't get it. You know, and she looked like an alien. and They say things like that. And yeah. now they're like, oh no, she's beautiful. I get it because <laughs> the world has kind of got it yeah. now, you know? But essentially she was a reaction of, you know, if you looked at what was happening in the, in the late 80s, you know, with the, the the era of the sort of supermodel with all the glam and the glitz and the high, you know, rolling, you know, pictures and, you know, Christy Turnington, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, mm-hmm. all these big names. Then came the 90s and it was this, you know, music and rock and roll and everything had a sort of knee-jerk reaction against all the excess. And, you know, there was a recession that was kicking in. And, you know, what happened was, was is this, this idea of androgyny with the youth of the day thinking I don't want to be told how to look you, you know you can't tell me that if I'm a woman I have to look like this I want to look like how I want to look and you know people like Calvin Klein and Anna Sui and Mark Jacobs creating collections where men's clothes look like women's clothes that look like boys' clothes that look like girls' clothes that look like and it, they create fragrance campaigns called one you know which is one fragrance for everybody right and right. It, so it, so the, and people like Kate Moss was that androgynous character that kind of fit it. So she, you know, there was this aspect of, of her fitting, the, again, the zeitgeist of the times. yeah. And, 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 it, and it, so it makes sense. And then, of course, she has the ability to transform and be a chameleon. And so when things change with, within the fashion industry, the ones who can, they move with it. Some people are only a supermodel for a short period of time. And then you've got others who are the true supermodels who influence a look, an era, a moment, you know, they, they are a part of who we are. They help define what beauty means to us yeah. at that moment in time and often onwards.
1: Who, who would you say is, let's talk about, you know, Michael Jordan, right? There's always, who's the greatest, you know, LeBron just won the, the another NBA finals with the Lakers and who is the greatest. And, you know, my era, when I grew up, I, I think it's Michael Jordan, right? But who, who is the Michael Jordan in in your world, do you think? Just from your perspective,
0: you know, as far as there being a particular supermodel of my of my time or someone who I think is the MVP of supermodels, you know, I, I, it's hard to say whether there's one one, you know, because it it is a sort of a situation where it's just not it's not a completely you know similar um, situation. But there are, I think, you know, people who have influenced the industry in many different ways. I mean, hence the book I wrote, right? right. So. And it's really, in large part, that was very, very hard. Even you know, cutting it down to fifty, to be honest with you. But there are people who are change makers from a business standpoint who um, introduced and created the very first multi-million-dollar um, campaigns for for women and license deals. There are models like Elle McPherson, who was the very first model to actually uh, create her own collection of lingerie and sell it versus working for somebody else. You realize she'd made the name. Why should I do Victoria's Secret or something else? I'll do from face and intimates, and it's now you know a billion-dollar industry. You know, so I, I talk about you know people and models who were game changers and, and really turned the business on its head. You know, as well as people who were sort of you know very very, um, I guess unique and and specific about how they might have changed. The, the way we perceive beauty, yep. which is also very, very important. So it's a, really a combination of things. Got it.
1: Great. I like that. So last kind of few questions for you, Nigel. So talk to us about fitness. How much does that play a role in your life? I see you've we've uh, got the fellow uh, whoop wristband here. There you uh, go. Look at
0: that. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it, it plays a large part. I mean, I, I work out five days a week, probably at least. Um, I, I you know helped create and found the Dog Pound Gyms. I'm working on a new fitness um, concept at the moment, a digital platform, which is rather exciting, which will be coming out uh, later this year. And um, you, you know, I, I think it's incredibly crucial. I, I, for me, it's, it's a it's a sort of special time for, for one for you know, getting rid of a certain amount of energy and 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 but, be, but also being in touch with oneself. I think it's you know, this listening to your own breathing, fe- un- yeah. feeling your own body, and knowing you know just being in touch with yourself as far as, you know, how your whole body is feeling and moving and behaving like health is so critical to yeah. how we are and how we behave and how we do anything in life. That if, and, and fitness for me is an extension of health, that, you know, that's So yes, it plays a huge part. And I just enjoy it. I've always enjoyed the, the, the rush of, of fitness and, and team sports as well.
1: You a morning guy or is it the uh, sometime in the afternoon when do you work out normally? Now I'm a morning
0: guy. Okay. And I'm very much a morning guy. So I'm, in fact, we have this group called the 5.45 a.m. group that I have worked out with for years. And, you know, we, we like to get, get, get up and get it, right? So we like wake it. up and it's at 5.45 in the morning and, and we're done by 7.
1: I love it. I love it. So what's one thing, if I told uh, took your phone from you, besides email, what's the one thing you don't want me to delete off your phone?
0: Ooh, the one thing I, 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 I wouldn't want you to delete um you know i'm not sure that there's anything i really care about that much that's on my phone i mean i i I probably my photographs i guess say yeah um, because probably but these days everything is linked to my computer somewhere else so i probably wouldn't lose them even if you did but that's right um, i've got backup so bad luck with that one
1: so where do our listeners nigel find more of you where do they they find you where is uh, where's a good spot to learn more about what you do and who you are
0: well, I'm, I'm certainly on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Nigel Barker, um, which is very easy. I have a website, which is nigelbarker.tv. Um, and, um, you know, simply, you know, if you Google me, I'm pretty much one of the only ones. That, luckily, there's, the name Nigel is, is, is not that common anymore. So it's quite easy to find me. That's right. Um, You've done um, enough things but, in your
1: life. We can find you, right?
0: I, I, yeah, unfortunately, I, I'm, it's pretty hard for me to hide. That's right.
1: Well, Nigel, thanks so much for being on the circuit of success, man. We really appreciate your time and uh, I know our listeners will get a ton of value out of this.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much. And good, good luck with everything. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of the circuit of success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.